June 16th, 2022, we're in Masechet Sanhedrin, and if you count from the bottom of the page up, it's nine lines up, it's the second word on the line, it says the Gemara Ba'eh, or excuse me, the third word, the students, the contemporaries of Rabbi Ameh asked him the following question, The question was, a Ben Noah, a non-Jew, a Noahide observer, a person who accepts the seven mitzvot Ben Noah, are they in turn as well commanded upon this mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem? Of course, we've been talking a bit about this mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem over the course of the last several lines and page in Masechet Sanhedrin, the Pasuk says, There's a commandment that we be Mekadeshem Shalom, Are non-Jews commanded on this as well? What does it mean that we're commanded on it? Well, we understood already that within the context of, for example, Farhesya, if it's a public circumstance, which the Gemara defined for us as in front of 10 Yisraelim, in such a circumstance you have to give up your life even if it's for a mitzvah kala. Now in the specific context of a Ben Noach, at the very most we're going to be talking about do they need to give up their lives for any of those seven mitzvot. We're not going to extend it obviously to the other, uh, the other 606 mitzvot of B'nai Yisrael. We're going to be talking about those. Rashi circumsc- circumscribed this specifically to Avodah Zarah. For one reason or another, Rashi's understanding is that this question is specifically and only about Avodah Zarah, probably along the lines of what are we talking about in terms of the most paramount highest level of Kiddush Hashem or Chilul Hashem, it's the abandonment of God. So Abu Dazara means turning away from him. So effectively then the question of the Gemara is, according to Rashi at the very least, is a non-Jew commanded to give up their life for not violating the Isur of Abu Dazara. Now, Farhesya, last, last issue to be dealt with initially, Farhesya we defined as in front of 10 Yisraelim, the Pasuk said, V'niktashti, Betoch Bene Israel, we had a Gezerah Shabbat Toch Toch, Eda Eda, and we understood it meant, means 10 from Israel. Is it the same thing by a Nanju? When we talk about Kiddush Hashem, when we talk about them giving up their lives, for example, for Avodah Zarah, does it mean in front of 10 Jews or even in front of 10 non Jews? Farhesya will be defined as 10, as a large gathering. That'll be a mahlok between Rashi and Ran. Ran understands this as being even in front of 10 non Jews. Rashi, and we'll talk about where in the Gemara, defines it specifically as in front of 10 Jews. But here's the question again. The question is, is it... According to Rashi, yeah, because it's Vinik Tashti, Vetoch Bene Israel. The Pasuk talks about Bene Israel. Kiddush Hashem at its true form is in front of Israel. That's how he understands it. But that's the question again. So Ba'umine Mirbiame, the question to Rabbi was posed. Again, parentheses, according to Rashi, in the context of Abu Dazara. Amar Abaye, Abaye attempts to solve this with a quick. A uh, quick solution from a source that we know from Dafnun Vav Tashema. The Beraita told us there Sheva Misvot Nistavu Bnei Noach. There are seven Noahide Misvot, seven Misvot Bnei Noach. As I told you then, it's the three Hamurot, 
Avodah Zarah Gilu Yareyot Shfichut Amim, and then the way to remember it is Aleph Bet Gimal Dalit. Aleph Bet Gimal Dalit describes the other four. Aleph being Evim Minahai, Bet being Birkat Hashem, the sort of curse in God, Gimal being Gezel, and Dalit being Dinim. Those are the Sheva Mitzvot Bnei Noach. Well, wait a second, says Abaye. If you read it carefully, or not too carefully, there are seven. Vim Ita, and if your question is a right is a rightful question, Timnehavyan. There should be eight. There should be eight mitzvot b'nei noach. If, if Kiddush Hashem is part of the list, then it shouldn't just be Sheva mitzvot b'nei noach. It should be Shemona mitzvot b'nei noach. Rava, Rava's response to Abayez claim is, no, when we said seven, we meant inhu v'chol avizarayu, they and all their accessories. When I say that I'm only going to serve you one dish, it means the one dish without salt and pepper? No, of course with salt and pepper. So how come you didn't say that you're going to serve salt and pepper as well? I meant that the, uh, uh, the additives, the accessories, of course they're going to be a part of what I give to you. But the ikar over here, when I'm talking about fundamentally, what I'm serving you is that dish, is that piece of meat. In turn, the idea being that the sheva misvot b'nei noach are my main dish. Then the kiddush Hashem is with regards to performance of those mitzvot, how do you properly perform them? Did you, do you need to give up your life in circumstance of, let's say, avodah zarah? Yes, Chef. Good question. Um, Jeffrey asks, is Kiddush Hashem for B'nai Yisrael part of the 613? It doesn't necessarily affect us because that would be just in terms of the counting. So you might, uh, I'll answer the question in a second though, but I will tell you, yes, Harambam has it as one of the 613. But it might not necessarily knock out this in terms of the count. So for 613, the Torah or the Beraita never explicitly says we have 613. You might enter it into the count for one reason or another, whereas B'nai Noah, we calculate it differently. But, you know, technically speaking, what I'm saying is if, for example, the Beraita said there are seven mitzvot for B'nai Noach and 613 mitzvot for B'nai Israel, and part of those 613 was Kiddush Hashem, you'd have a claim. But we don't have all those sorts of details. But it's, but, but it's an important claim uh, nonetheless. Uh, Kiddush Hashem also is multifaceted, the way Haram Bam has it, the way the Gemara has it, but, but important, important point. Anyway, that's, that's the suggestion, that's the retort, that's the response of... Uh, Abaye, in other words, keep in mind, Abaye was trying to bring a proof. Rava responded to him. Says the Gemara, "May have Allah, may have Allah." Generally speaking, is the end of protracted conversations. Usually, the Gemara has a question. They go back and forth a bit, and then at the end, they say, "And so, what's what happened with this?" In other words, what was the halakha l'maase? Interestingly, it'll appear as if the Gemara over here, even after those words, won't have a final conclusion. It's that which disturbs Tosafot. We'll discuss in a few moments, but just pay attention to those words. In other words, what is the halakha l'ma'aseh on this? Are b'nei noach mitzvah al-kidushat Hashem or not? Amara v'habar ahava amre be'rav. Cites from the Beit Midrash of Rav, Ketib, the Pasuk says in the context of a man named Na'aman. This is in Melachim Beit. Na'aman was the general of the Aram uh, king. So you have Melech Aram, not too much our friend, but he's the general and he's from their side. He has Sarat, he's afflicted with this disease, and he comes in contact in one way or another with Elisha. Elisha, of course, being our prophet, our Navi. And Elisha tells him how to heal it. Elisha tells him, go to the Yardin, to the Jordan River, and dunk yourself in it seven times and you'll be cured. And so it was. Naaman, as a result, is inspired. He wants to become a different person. 
but he's a pagan idolater. He's from Aram. He determines he's going to accept upon himself, according to our understanding of it, not to worship Abu Dazara, perhaps even more. At the very least, he's what's called a Ger Toshav. However, as he's talking to Elisha about this, as he's deliberating and dealing with his future plan based on how inspired he became from Elisha's solution to his affliction, he says to him, says Naaman to Elisha, but for this specific matter, I hope God forgives me. What's that? My master, he's referring to the king of Aram, when he goes to his Avodah Zarah, this Bet Rimon it was referred to, he goes to bow and to worship there. Again, this is the Aram, Melech Aram would go there. He leans on me. And in, excuse me, and in turn, I bow. So imagine the scene says, Naaman, I'm very embarrassed because I try, I'm trying very hard not to worship Abu Dazara, to move away from that sort of lifestyle. However, I have to go with my master. And when I go with my master, he leans on me as he's bowing and prostrating himself in front of the Abu Dazara, and in turn, I do so as well. Uh, is that okay? I hope God forgives me, says Naaman to Elisha. Keep in mind, this is all in the context of us trying to figure out whether B'nai Noach and Hashem Uchtiv and the response of Elisha as it is in Melachim Bet, Vayomelo Lech Shalom. The response of Elisha is, go in peace. Oh, he's okay with that. Elisha tells him there's not a problem. Vi'im itan, if it was so that B'nai Noach Armesubel Kedushat Hashem says the Gemara, Lo Lemale, he should not have said that to him. Elisha should have told him there's a problem over here. Keep in mind, Kiddush Hashem is very much contextually determined. If the people see Naaman there, Naaman is bowing down. No, 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 but it's not my intention. He's just the king's leaning on me, and as a result, it doesn't matter. Kiddush Hashem. How come Elisha allowed for that to happen? Clearly, the Gemara is suggesting. What's that? That's, of course, B'nai Noach. We're talking about B'nai Noach. No, no, no. B'nai Noach, we're talking about those who are observing Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach. They're not observing Sheva Mitzvot B'nai Noach. The question doesn't begin. Again, the question over here is, assuming the guy is trying to observe. If he's not trying to observe, then, you know, we don't have the question. Anyway, Naaman, in turn, has told Lech Shalom. Now, Rashi points out the specific words here in the Gemara. Le'male. It's not that Elisha, per se, is commanded on correcting Naaman. The Torah does tell us, The Torah tells us that you need to rebuke, you need to set in place, of course, in the appropriate way, your amitecha, your friend, your brother, the one who's a part of your nation. That word mitzvah with regards to Am Yisrael. If you see a Jewish person doing the wrong thing, you're supposed to correct them, you're supposed to rebuke them in the appropriate fashion. To non-Jews, they're not amitecha, so there was no command on Elisha to set Naaman in his place. However, he should not and could not, if he was misuveh on Kiddushat Hashem, say, Lech le shalom. Why did he tell him, go in peace? He could have kept quiet. He could have let it be. The fact that he encourages him and says, go in peace, makes us understand that although he didn't need to rebuke him, the fact that he encourages him tells us that in the eyes, at the very least, of Elisha, and in turn, our understanding of halacha, Benoah is not misuveh al Kiddushat Hashem. That's where we have a proof. We have a proof that Ben Noach are not Mitzubeh Kiddushat Hashem. Says the Gemara, deflection. 
period. Says the Gemara, you can't bring a proof from there because that was a circumstance which was not public by definition. Israel is in public forums, public defined as 10. As a result, the suggestion of the Gemara is you can't bring a proof from Elisha because that bit Rimon situation was one in which there was no publicity. Why was there no publicity? One of two reasons. Rashi tells us, this is an easy one. Says Rashi, I told you a few minutes ago, according to Rashi, the definition of Farhesya for Kiddush Hashem is 10 Jews. <laughs> Maybe there were people in the Beit Rimon, not Jewish people. Maybe one or two, though. Aleinu. Ten Jewish people? There weren't ten Jewish people in the Beit Rimon. As a result, this was not Kiddushat Hashem. It was not a Farhesya situation. What about you, Ran Rabbeinu Nisim? How do you interpret it? Just a few minutes ago, I told you that if a Ben Noach is Mesuveah Kiddushat Hashem, according to Ran, it's in the context of ten non-Jews. There weren't ten non-Jews in the Beit Rimon, suggests Ran. No, there weren't. The way the Abu Dazara place worked, maybe specifically when the king went there, they cleared out, I don't know, you know, it reminds me of the Kotel, when important people come, sometimes they clear the whole place out. Maybe it just didn't have so many people there. Either way, you slice it, the suggestion of the Gemara is such that you can't bring a proof from the case of Naaman. Why can't you bring a proof from the case of Naaman? Because it was not a public uh, spectrum. It was not something that was seen and observed and understood and known by many. Well, says the Tosafot, as I mentioned to you a few moments ago, generally speaking, when the Gemara starts the question with it's looking for bottom line. It's not looking for, uh, well, not sure, maybe uh, the Gemara is supposed to give us a The Gemara didn't give us a halakha It tried from Naaman and then it said, no. Can't bring a proof from there because it wasn't Befarhesya. Tosafot says instead, maybe the Nosach and the Gemara, maybe the Girsan, the Gemara needs to be changed a bit, or maybe they had a different version of it. They have the following, Vi'im Ita, on the top line over here, they take out that next word, Lo. Vi'im Ita, and if it was so that the Benoach is Mitzvah Kiddushat Hashem, and here's how they read it in turn, Lema Le Ha period. If it was so that the Benoah is Misuvel Kedushat Hashem, Elisha should have said, not shouldn't have said, should have said to Eli to Naaman, here's the halacha, if you were Befarhesya, you can't do so. If it's Bitsina, you could do so. He should have gotten into halacha discourse. In other words, if Naaman is turned to him, I don't know what to do in that situation. Now Elisha should have said, okay, listen. If you walk in there and there's a lot of people, I make sure he doesn't lean on you. If there's less people, then it's okay. The fact that he didn't say that, it's not that it's a deflection. It's a conclusive proof according to Tosafot. Either way you slice it though, Benoach, it appears either conclusively is not Mitzvah Kedushat Hashem, or we can't bring a proof that they are Mitzvah Kedushat Hashem. Okay, that's what we have in the Gemara. Now the last segment of the Gemara is a disturbing, difficult segment. It's, um, I'm going to tell you there are going to be many questions that will abound. We'll have conversations after the class, maybe another class on another occasion. But it's an important segment, important passage in the Gemara. I will, before we read it, tell you that several of the Mefarshim, both ancient and current, do suggest that this story that we're going to read and the, and the, the, the debate that follows thereafter is generally speaking envisioned as what's called Hora'atcha'ah. In other words, the rabbis, this tour and others write this, the rabbis understood based on the circumstance, based on the context, based on the situation, that it was a very severe situation. It means as a result, 
result, the severity with which they're talking, I'm warning you, is not per se to be repeated in your or my life based on similar circumstances. Similar to when we learned the Gemara about Yeshu HaNosri, about the way that they put him to death or ensnared him, and the Gemara doesn't understand that as being a standard way. Hora'at Sha'ah sometimes will be appropriate based on the leadership's understanding of the dangers and severities of the generation. Says the Gemara, Amarav Yehuda, Amarav, Ma'aseh Be'adam Echad, Shenatan Inav Be'isha Achat, Ve'he'ila Libo Tina. It says it happened that there was one person, one man, who laid his eyes on one woman. His heart, his body became so ailed, became so ill because of his love for her. He was so infatuated with her, he was certain he needed to have relations with her. And to the extent that, medically speaking, the doctors determined he's sick and will die if he doesn't have relations. They went out of concern for their father, their brother, their colleague, whatever, to the doctors. What do we do? And the doctors declared, The only way in which this person will be cured is if he has relations with that woman. Amru Hachamim, the rabbis in turn responded from the halacha perspective, Yamut he needs to die without having relations. Before you ask about the status of the woman in the Gemara, will. But at this segment, that's what we understand without those details. Okay, then the doctors apparently suggested Ta'amod Lefanav Arumah. said he might be able to be cured if this woman with whom he's so infatuated, whom he's obsessed with, just stands in front of him naked. Maybe that will cure him. Now, the Mifarshim ask in this context, what were the doctors talking about originally? I said, this is malpractice. They said it needs to be relations, and now all of a sudden he's going to be okay if she's naked. In a moment, we're going to see if she speaks with him in a, in a sexual fashion. That's enough. What were they thinking? So there's many different answers. Of the, perhaps the, the, the easiest answers, easiest approaches are either mitorat vadai, they were certain if he had relations with her, uh, so then, then he would be cured. And now they say, maybe even if he gets a little bit less, he'll be cured as well. So it's, it's torat zafik. Alternatively, maybe he'll have a long life if he has relations. It'll be an absolute cure as opposed to it'll be a patch if you do any of these things. Lastly, maybe the closest to Peshat, is that was the claim of the doctors. At this point, the Gemara doesn't say Amru Rof'im. It says Ta'amod. So this is the rabbis deliberating. In other words, the doctor said it needs to be as such. It needs to be relations. Now the rabbis say, what if the doctors had said even just stand in front of him naked? What would the halakha be in such a circumstance? So either way, you slice it. That's the way the Gemara has it over here. So the next stage is, we're going to say the doctors then said, try Ta'amod if she stands in front of him naked without relations, maybe it'll work, or perhaps certainly it'll work. Or the rabbis say, I wonder what would have been if they said that. The rabbis again declared and determined she cannot, he cannot be in that circumstance. He should die instead of her being in front of him in that situation. Now, of course, you'll ask yourself already before we even move on really, is this Yareg Val Ya'avur? Is this relations? This is considered gidui arayot. We might like, might liken it to the pasuk in the Torah, lo tikrevu, don't come close to legalot erva. But is that gidui arayot to the extent that we're referring to it as dying instead of violating? Goes onwards as the Gemara, tisapir imo me'achoreha geder. 
perhaps she can, without sight of him, without him seeing her, speak to him. And of course, it doesn't mean they're having a, a cordial, uh, a, a polite conversation. It's a reference to a, a sexually uh, innuendoed conversation, or maybe more than innuendoed conversation. But it's not going to be even sight of her. He should, say the rabbis, die instead of that taking place. Already, again, uh, it goes even further in the context of this Gemara. The Gemara is scaring, I hope, each of us with regards to distancing ourselves from Gidui Arayot. Again, larger and longer and important conversations to be had with regards to normative practice on these matters. There is, uh, to be sure, plenty of literature on that, but at this point, I need you to understand, this is, and the Gemara will be clear about this in a moment, Acha, it's a specific circumstance in order for us to learn from it However, the Gemara cites it over here to understand the severity. Well, what sort of woman are we dealing with in the first place? That's the Gemara Pilegeba. There's a Mahloket. Peleg, of course, means to be split. Pilegebar Biakov Bar Idi Bishmuel Bar Nahmeni. It's a Mahlok between Imuraim as to how to decipher, how to determine which woman this was. Hadamar, one of those rabbis, we don't know who said what. Eshet Ish Hayetav. Hadamar Penuya Hayetav. One opinion says that she was a married woman. Already a little bit more understandable. At the very least, we can describe that as objective with relations. If it's a married woman, it's eshetish. That's a prohibition from the Torah with all the severities of death penalty. And we understand yared mal yavor in that sort of context. This next two stages is a little bit harder to understand. But, that, but what about if she was pinuya? Pinuya means she wasn't married. I'm not advocating. Very clearly not. Anyone having relations, panuya bala pinuya. However... It's not punishable by death. It's not considered a gidui arayot. Harambam famously does have in Perekal as being lotia kidesha. It's a circumstance uh, which is not too great, but it's not death penalty. It's not considered gidui arayot. Maybe it's zenut in some respect, halakhically speaking, as well. How do you explain this, this whole back and forth? And again, I told you hora'atcha, but we need some sort of understanding in that context, too, how the rabbis are willing or demanding that he give up a life. When she's a single woman, says the Gemara, if she was a married woman, I understand the back and forth of the rabbis and the doctors and the determinations. However, if she was single, what was all of this? Pause for a second. Is it really understood for us if she was an Eshetish? We understood the first stage where it was uh, that she needs to have relations with him. The rabbis say no. Even with talking about Hora'acha, it's difficult to understand. It's in this context, the conversation with Jesse very briefly yesterday in the class comes up again. It's that, there that Baal Hama'or points out, in the back of the Gemara, that perhaps the Gemara is being clear to us over here that the accessories of Gilui Arayot. Now we'll have to define those because Dibur Ma'choreh HaGeder is hard to define even that as Avizarayu. Maybe those are included in Yehareg Val Yavor. That's a very disturbing and difficult uh, determination. Ramar Bimoshe Isolis is posek this way in Shohan Aruch, in his glasses to Shohan Aruch. That even on Avizarayu, the Gilui Arayot, we have Yehareg Val Yavor to the extent that 
well-known, again, the full conversation can't be had right now, well-known statement of Bet Yosef in the name of Terumat Adeshin, a doctor who's taking the pulse of a patient who's perhaps a nida, even his wife who's a nida, Yaharek vel Ya'avo, I mean, which means to say you could potentially be saving her life, but you need to, that's a fascinating and scary, uh, scary determination. Ramban Nachmani, to be sure, disagrees and understands this as being contextually sensitive. Understand over here that that speaking was tantamount to giving the guy life in the sexual context, maybe that already got packaged differently. But all important questions to be had, as I told you, disturbing thoughts in terms of the severity, that's very clear, of Gilui Arayot, of the Sheloshet Hamurot by extension, in the eyes of the Hachamim. But back to the question the Gemara, says the Gemara, if she was in Eshet Ish, at the very least I understand something. I told you I still have a lot of questions, but I understand more. If she's Pinuya, if she's not married, Okay, I know it's not good to do. I understand you're going to warn him and tell him this is inappropriate, but the guy's life is on the line. You're going to keep him away from it from to that extent to have his life given up? Even, we wouldn't allow it. Says the Gemara of Papa Amar Mishum Pega Mishpachar of Aha Bere Derav Ika Amar Kedeshe Lo Yehu Benot Yisrael Perusot Ba'arayot. Each of these two answers describes circumstantial uh, sensitivities of the hachamim. First one is pegam mishpacha. Pegam mishpacha means we are sensitive to the blemish that will be caused to the family as a result of this act. Yes, it's a permitted act, quote unquote. Yes, what's that? Her family. Her family. Her. You want to say if she's Pinuya, it's worse. No, no, I mean, it's very bad, but if she's, again, I, I understand, you're, but you're talking about outcome. I'm talking about action. It's not so, we're not taking into account what's going to happen afterwards always. We're talking about the action. I got gotcha. you. That's on the Pinuya. So you're making the case for Pinuya, but don't, don't lighten up on the Eshetish. I, I understand what you're saying. But you are, so Judah's just saying there's an ironic reality over here that potentially if she's single, quote unquote, the lasting repercussions are stronger and worse than if she was married, so to speak. If she was married, terrible. But, and people are gonna talk about, okay, but she's married. And she's, if we're gonna consider it honest, which it seems to be, if we're gonna consider her furthermore, uh, and all that sort of business, all right, it's terrible, assuming her husband's not a Kohen, I will get past it. We're not, but I'm just saying you can see it that way. Penuyao, in contrast, says Judah's lasting repercussion. She's not even married. Maybe she was a virgin and she's losing that furthermore. Whatever the point is, there's a pegamish baha, it's a blemish on her family's name. People will be talking about her, it'll always be attached to her, no matter how distant, and I know we all know this, but uh, no matter how distant a person who does something very silly in their childhood, no matter how distant they become from it when they're older, it's always an asterisk and a, and a footnote to their name. It's always that's the one who. And that's really what the Gemara is saying. But uh, she was doing it in order to save a life. She was doing it at the command or at the suggestion of the doctors. She's the one who. That's Pegamish Baha. The other. Go ahead. So, you know, just a quick question. The Torah allows for which is. Almost a similar. No, she's not Jewish. But, but it's the same. same yeah, desire that it is the same desire, but she's not a Jewish woman. Yeah. This is this is a so this is a communal fear over here. The pegamish bahavatu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
What's that? The Gemara does not. The Gemara does not. The Pegam Mishpacha, you have to assume people are going to find out about it. The Gemara does not. Keep in mind, it's Giluya Arayot. What's that? Correct. Correct. That was my introduction to say, understand this as a Hora'at Sha'a. Now, the fact that the Gemara mentions it and spends some time on it already tells us we're supposed to take lessons from this, both in terms of Musar and some practical, but correct. Correct, correct, correct. It is not going to become automatic normative, although I did quote to you on purpose only, Beit Yosef in the name of Terumat Adesh, and who says even taking the polls. That's not to incriminate doctors who do otherwise, where Posek, generally speaking, like Shach, who disagrees with Beit Yosef on this. But I did tell you, Raman and Beit Yosef are pretty severe on this. To understand it as such is something that I'm distancing because in theory, maybe in according to many in practice, this is very severe. The other explanation in the Gemara is Kedesh Elo Yehu Benot Yisrael Perusot Be'arayot is very much contextually and circumstantially and communally driven, which means to say, as Rashi explains it, now the women, seeing this circumstance, are going to start walking around in a promiscuous fashion. They're going to want the men to look at them. In turn, quote unquote, the men will become love-stricken, love-sick uh, for them. And now they found their matches. The doctor said we need to match up with him. Which means to say the women in Israel, we have to imagine both the Pinuyot and even the Eshet Ish amongst Am Yisrael are now going to be Pirusot Va'arayot. That's Rashi. They're now going to be standing and walking around promiscuously. That's not good for our community. If, if the word gets out, our national community, the Gemara is saying, if the word gets out that we permitted based on this sort of situation of course we have to fear the men but the women who are now going to provoke it this will become a uh, community a national uh, pandemic in a terrible way as a result of one of those two reasons the Gemara suggests for if she was a penuya why the rabbis were so severe on her says the Gemara but we have an easy solution to the whole thing I don't understand the whole thing from the beginning says the Gemara okay hazitim hazita her terrible situation but instead perhaps they could have gotten married. I know, easier said than done. Maybe uh, she wasn't interested in it. All right, but you're saving a life. We'll get you married. You'll have a relationship with him for a little bit, and then you'll go, you save a life. Not saying she would have listened, but why wasn't that even an attempt, says the Gemara, in my words. Why didn't they just get married? Again, not easily done, but at least uh, broach the issue, open the topic, be able to say to him, say to her, will you get married to him? In which case, we can make everything kosher. If she's a pinuya, if she's a shadish, we're not divorcing her. If she's pinuya, answers the Gemara a very real uh, comment with regards to the psyche of human beings. La The man's mind and soul and heart would not be miyushav. It would not calm him. It would not cure him. What do you mean? Before reading it onward, I'll say it outside. The concept being that the reason he was love-stricken for her, the way in which he would have healed and cured himself was because she was forbidden, because she was off-bounds. If she was married to him, that was no longer taking away his drive. He'd now have a drive for the next woman. The whole drive over here, the whole uh, illness, is because he struck, stricken by uh, the forbidden waters over here, by the mystique and the allure of what's out of bounds. 
if she were to get married to him, says the Gemara, it's similar, it's along the lines of the statement of Rabbi Yitzhak, Rabbi Yitzhak said this even more poetically than we just did, from the day on which the Mikdash was destroyed, from the day of the destruction of the Mikdash, says Rashi, now we have all sorts of sorrows and troubles and distractions, we're no longer, we no longer are able to have a passion for, uh, in the same way, uh, an appropriate uh, sexual relations with our wives. As a result, instead, the only remnant of that sort of passion and desire and lust in an inappropriate way is in the context of sin. We no longer have it in the context of mitzvah and proper relationship. It's not to say that there's nothing. The point is it's diminished. Why is he talking about it's a way of describing when we have sorrows, when we are distracted. Even when you have sorrows and you're distracted and you're not ready to be involved in relations with the spouse, you're still always, says it beats Hak, excited and ready for the relations with the forbidden one. As the Pasuk says in Mishlesh, in Emar, Maim Genuvim Yimtaku, Velechem Setarim Yin'am. Maim Genuvim means stolen water. Stolen water always is more sweeter. And Lechem Setarim, bread which is eaten in secrecy, meaning it was stolen, it was forbidden. Yin'am, it has more of a ni'imut, it's more pleasant, it tastes better. The statement in turn, the Gemara, the Perek ends with this statement, it's a very true psychological one. It says to each of us, understand your life and in turn remedy it appropriately. To accept that your relationship will get stale in, with regards to a spouse is to accept reality and to know, but why am I so excited about the grass which is greener on the other side? Because that grass on the other side is where you are not. When you are where you are, when you're involved with the person that you're with, the life that you're in, it has the tendency to become stale to the extent that, quote unquote, it won't fix your illness. So how do you fix it? By finding hidush, by uh, bringing life to it in appropriate creative ways within a relationship and world that you have created for yourself together with others. That's the message of the Gemara at the end. Again, to summarize the Gemara, we dealt with initially whether Benoach is Mesuvel, Kiddushat Hashem, or not. Either the Gemara had no conclusion or specifically said is not. And then we had this interesting and strange and maybe troubling tale of this Ma'aseh Be'adam Ehad and the Rabbi's response to it. We talked about Avizarayu de Gilui Arayot. We understood the severity of such and we finished the Perek with that message of Shilomo HaMelech of Ma'im Genuvim Imtaku Ve'lechem Setarim In'am Hadran Alach Ben Soreiru Moreh Baruch Adonai Le'olam Amen Ve'amen